I did a poll on Facebook this week, and uh, I got some really good answers, actually. I asked people, what was your first car, and were there any quirks about it? Because my assumption was that some people's first cars were probably beaters. That's how it kind of goes sometimes. And uh, here's just a few of the answers I got. This, this is good. Somebody said, I had a 1994 Grand Am, and it was duct taped the entire way around. Okay, someone can relate. That's good. Someone said, I had an 85 Oldsmobile Cutlass, and it, and I quote, it soaked gas like a sponge. <laughs> this is my favorite. This is, I, I have to read this verbatim off my phone because it was just so good. Uh, a friend of mine said this. I'm not making this up. My very first car was a small red Mazda that I had for one whole week, one week, and then it died. It had duct tape on the bumper, and once you locked the doors, you had to go in Dukes of Hazard style because they wouldn't unlock. <laughs> okay? <laughs> That's how it is. My first car that I came into ownership of, I'll just tell you quickly about it. It was a 1998 Nissan Maxima. It was a nice little car. Um, I got it in the late like 2009-ish, so it's an older car. And here was my experience, here was my reality when driving this car. So not very long after I got it, the radiator completely got plugged and I would overheat anytime I went up a hill. That was annoying. Uh, a couple months after that, I was driving along and a belt broke somewhere, somewhere, and I'm not really a car guy. It broke somewhere and it caused me to gradually lose power for like the next 30 minutes until I completely ran out of power and I had to coast into someone's yard and call for help. Just left the car there overnight. My personal favorite was not long before the end of its life, uh, the, the battery would always be dead. I'd go to start it and nothing would happen. And that happened chronically. Like I'd boost it, I'd go for a while and it would happen again. And the mechanic couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so I remember the day my grandfather came up to me and he had a stick and a wrench. And I said, dare I ask? And he said, the stick is to hold your hood open because there's no like prop rod in that car. And the wrench is for unhooking and re-hooking up the battery. So every time, every time I had to go somewhere or, I, I, or every time I got somewhere, I had to pop the hood, undo the battery and just leave it sitting there. And then when I wanted to go home or leave later, pop the hood, hook it back up and drive away. That got old after about a day, as you can imagine. And it went on like that for a while. That was just a few little excerpts of the experience and the reality I had with that car. There did come a day though, when I got a different car. And uh, it was no, you know, it was not perfect either. But my reality, my experience changed like this. It was immediate, it was different. I didn't have to worry about the battery because I wasn't in that car anymore. The reason I say all of that is to say that when uh, we come to faith in Christ, we experience a similar thing. We instantly come into a new reality. The moment that we're saved, things are different. You're not on a waiting list. You are not on some probationary period. It's not like, oh, my work order has to go through, and when it does, then I'll you know, come in. No, from the moment that we are saved, people, things are different. Now, that does not mean that we are immediately you know, released and relieved from any troubles or pains or stresses in the world. That's not how it works. Somebody help me, amen. That's not how it works. It also doesn't mean that immediately when we get saved, we come into the fullness of our full maturity right away. It's kind of like we get a big pair of shoes that isn't broken in and we have to walk in it for a while and grow into it. That's kind of how our faith works. But I'm telling you that from the moment that we accept Jesus, our reality changes. We receive a new identity. 
immediately. We receive all of God's promises are then for us, and they're yes and amen in Christ. Uh, we have immediately the promise of eternal life. We have immediately the presence of the Holy Spirit. We immediately have a family in the church for which I'm very thankful for. Yes, you guys. That is what happens. Jesus Christ is our new reality. It's walking with him. It is loving him, serving him, worshiping him, obeying him, listening to his voice. Jesus Christ is our new reality. And we're going to talk about some of this stuff today. Um, we're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. You can turn there in your Bible. We're talking about our new reality in Christ. And here's what I would just ask you. You don't have to answer out loud. Are you walking in that today? Are you walking in that new reality? Because sometimes, even though that's the reality that Christ has made possible for us, sometimes we still, like we're going to see in our text, sometimes we still don't live like that's our reality. We kind of have this dual thing going on. So are you walking in step with your new reality in Christ today? And I'll say this too for the benefit of, uh, if this will be online later, if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, uh, That'll be your first step to walk in that new reality. You have to accept Jesus and then it begins. So here we go. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 4 here as we get started. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let's start picking our way through this, because that's what we're doing. We're going through this whole book verse by verse. Uh, Colossians 3.1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Somebody say raised with Christ. All right. So this is talking to Christians. This is talking to those who have come to Christ. We've been raised to new life in him. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. First thing I want you to notice about that is the kingly language. That's royal language. It says Christ is above, um, seated at the right hand of God. So you have to understand, Jesus, and I know you guys know this, Jesus is a king. Jesus is actually the king of all kings. And he is the king of a kingdom. Now, the kingdom is very broad. We actually did a series about that long ago. But if I had to sum it up in a nutshell, the kingdom that Jesus is uh, ruling over, the kingdom is all about the present and the future rule and reign of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. And I'll say that again more slowly. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus is over, is all about the present and future rule and reign of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. So when someone says the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, what I want you to picture, make it easy for you, is Jesus on a throne. Jesus is king. Jesus has a will. This is how he wants things. And what this verse is telling us to do is to seek the things of the kingdom here on the earth. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to just point your attention to the word seek if you're seeking, you guys know that word. If you're seeking, it means you are looking. You're looking for something. You're looking to embrace it. You're looking to live in light of it. You're looking to do it, perhaps. So in this case, again, it means that our heart, our mentality, our default, our disposition should be that we are seeking God's kingdom. 
We are seeking to do the things that God wants. We are seeking to see the things of the kingdom here on the earth. Verse 2 continues. He says, set your minds. Somebody say, set your mind. On things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So to set your mind, you can hear the, like the deliberate nature of that. That means you're intentionally, purposely focusing on something. You're dwelling on it. You're, you're uh, not just letting your mind wander here and there and it'll land where it lands. No, you're, you're camped right out there. You're dwelling on it, focused on it, praying into it. And there's a verse that I came across. I came across. Yeah, it was, it was all me. It was there long before I came around. Uh, Romans 8, 6. I stumbled on that a few years ago. It's been very practical, very helpful for me. Excuse me. It says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I think that's a great verse. That's been very helpful for me because that tells me to set my mind on the flesh, okay, the things of the world, the things of the earth, maybe sinful things, not godly things. To do that is death. It's bad for me. To do this, though, to set the mind on the spirit, on the Lord, on his will, on his kingdom, on his character, leads to life and peace. It's kind of a black and white. You can have this and it's bad, or you can have this and it's good. So I try my best to choose the good. That's Romans 8, 6, and that would be a good one to memorize. So what you set your mind on has the power to enslave you or free you. Our minds are that powerful. It's not just, oh, whatever, whatever. The things that you choose to focus your mind on, focus your thoughts on, can either put you in a cage or they can set you free. They can set you up for frustration or for flourishing. And it doesn't all happen just in the mind, but this verse is telling me the mind is very important. So what do you set your mind on? We all set our mind on something, even if sometimes I'm absent-minded. Some have told me that. I still set my mind on things. Where are you focused? Where is your mind set? Is it on the things of the spirit, of the kingdom, of the Lord? Or is it on earthly things? It's easy to set our mind on earthly things sometimes, especially when we're in a rough season, right? That's all you're thinking about. But we're told here clearly to set our minds on things that are what? Yes, things that are above. So, when we talked about above a minute ago, remember we said the idea is however things are above, however things are where Jesus is, however things are in his kingdom of which he has dominion over, that's how we should desire for things to be on earth. So if you sit here and you go, well, what are some of those things then? What am I supposed to be setting my mind on? The short answer is there are many. There are many things that are above. There are many things of the kingdom that you can set your mind on. I'll give you a few. Psalm 16 is a place where it says where God is, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Somebody say fullness of joy. I want that to sink in. I want that. So if in God's presence there is fullness of joy, and if the kingdom is all about God's rule and his reign and how things are like where he's at and how things are going to be when he comes back, that means we should desire it here and now. So if there's fullness of joy in his presence, that means there is a joy of the Lord for us to seek and to set our minds on, and to experience. And that's something that we can pray for others for. I want you guys to experience and know the joy of the Lord, because that's how it is in the kingdom, so that's how we want to see it here. Do you, make, do you understand? Another one, 2 Corinthians 3.17, great verse. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Somebody say freedom. I'm really making your work today. 
So that means if that's where the Lord is and that's what's going on in his presence, there's freedom. That means that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of freedom. So we as Christians can experience freedom from our sin, freedom from our past, freedom from our habits, our addictions, the whole gamut. Because in God's presence where his spirit is, there is freedom. And again, our desire for others is that they would come to experience the freedom found in Christ. That's what's going on. Uh, another one, where, where God is, this isn't one specific verse, this is a mega theme in scripture, where God is, worship is happening, in his presence, constantly, day and night, we maybe read about that earlier, so the thing with that is, we should desire to be a people of worship here and now, we don't wait until we're one day in the kingdom, the kingdom is here now, so we worship now, uh, it says in Romans 14, I think it's verse 17, that the kingdom of God is in part a matter of peace, that's wonderful. That means if the kingdom is a matter of peace, we should desire and experience the peace of God here now. There's a peace for us to have and to know. And that means that we should be at peace with each other and at peace with the world. And we should desire that the world, people that we know who don't know Christ, would come to know him and experience his peace. I feel like you guys are getting it. The only other one I'll say, that same verse, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom is in part a matter of righteousness. So if that's true, we seek to live righteously here and now. You guys get this? Is this landing? Okay, so to set your mind on things that are above, it's to intentionally live in light of them and think about them and dwell on them. If your mind is set on things that are on the earth, that'll be your experience. You'll be bogged down in earthly things. You'll be, th you'll be seeing this far in front of you, and I'm not... I'm not judging or condemning anyone because sometimes we go through seasons where that's what we're doing but we will be bogged down with earthly things we will be finding it a lot more difficult to focus on the Lord we will get dull to our mission we will get dull in heart and we'll be not really all that much use for kingdom purposes but if you set your mind on things that are above not only will you be a useful and effective kingdom worker it'll actually give you a godly perspective when things aren't going so well because that happens. But in those seasons, if we're setting our minds on things that are above, it's a lot easier to remember. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in control. Jesus is over this. Jesus loves me. He is for me. He is good to me. And he is on his throne so I can trust him. And that'll be that. That's a lot easier to do when you have your, your mind set on things that are above. Four, verse three, he continues, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's part of the essence of being a Christian. It's that we have died to ourselves. We have said, I'm not number one anymore. I am not on my own little throne anymore. But Jesus, you are number one. You are on your throne. And I want you to lead and guide me. That's what we have done. And we have to do that daily, by the way. And our life, excuse me, it says it's hidden with Christ and God. I got a mental picture of that this week. Of an oyster with a pearl in it. And yes, I understand we can pry open an oyster and take the pearl out of it, but forget that for a minute. Apart from human intervention or some predator eating it, that pearl, right, is safe in there. It's safe, it's secure. So I'll translate this for us. If your life is hidden with Christ and God, it means your circumstances can't come along and snatch away your salvation. The enemy can't come away and steal that seed that's been planted. The enemy can't, because he, he seeks to steal and kill and destroy, right? He can't do that. And the context here is that's what happens when we're setting our minds right. It's a lot harder for the enemy to break in and penetrate and steal what is ours in Christ. 
And verse 4, I love this verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know what I love about this? It does not say, when Christ, who is a part of your life, appears. What does it say? When Christ, who is your life. So that says it all for me. Jesus for us as Christians, he is the source of our life. He is the purpose of our life. He is the giver of our life and the sustainer and the provider and the meaning of our life. He is central. That's what we've been talking about all these weeks, the centrality of Christ. And when he appears, that means when he comes back, do you know Jesus is coming back? What a day it will be. He comes back to bring this age to a close and to fully usher in the kingdom. You know what he's going to say on that day? It says, we will appear with him in glory. Those of us who are Christians, he's going to look at you and you and you and me, and he's going to say, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. I can't wait for that day. Can you wait for that day? It's going to be great. So my point in saying all this is this. Since we have been raised with Christ, believers, since we are to die to ourselves and be found in him and to find our life in him, we need to set our minds properly. If we are going to live in this new reality of walking with Christ, living in step with him, doing his will, uh, seeking him first, the mind is a huge, huge factor because what you think about can enslave you or free you. So what we're going to do now, we're going to keep on in our text and Paul, who, who wrote this book of Colossians, he's going to hammer away at some of the earthly things, right? Set your mind not on earthly things. He's going to hammer away at some of the earthly things in our old self because he wants us to make sure that we clearly understand there's no value in thinking that way. There's no value in living in these things. So let's read verses 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So, we start in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Remember, the therefore points back to what we just read. We've been raised with Christ. We have a new reality in him. And because of that, put to death what is earthly in you. That put to death language, that, that implies, and you can hear it in there, that's serious. That's deliberate. That's, that's urgent. Put to death does not mean, here's this thing I'm into that I shouldn't be into. I'll uh, put it just over here on the shelf so I can reach it easily. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll hide it, but I'll hide it not very well so I can find it, and if I'm having a bad day, I can go back to that thing. That's not putting it to death. And that's just entertaining it and dabbling in it. It's not good. So Paul's gonna go through a couple of lists here in our text. And the first one, this is a generalization, but the first one oftentimes is expressed internally. This kind of can be things that we just do ourselves, can involve other people, but uh, let's go through this. So the first one is sexual immorality. And somebody, I, I literally just saw someone, their head just went, <laughs> it happened. I won't say who. Um, this is one we don't often like to talk about, right? Um, but it is at the top of the list here. And not only are we going to talk about it, I believe personally it's at the top of the list for a reason because it's important, and because it can be one that's really, really easy for us to fall into. So sexual immorality, that, that obviously is a large umbrella over that. There's a lot of things that fall into that category. Uh, for instance, 
do you, and don't answer this, okay, think of it in your head, but do you lust for someone who's not your spouse? That would include if you're single, by the way. Do you have sexual thoughts or desires for someone who's not your spouse? Do you have sexual activity with someone who's not your spouse? That's sexual immorality. What about do you cohabitate with or sleep with someone who is not your spouse? The, the classic answer to that one is, well, we're practically married. No, you're not. Uh, are you into pornography? That one has been a snare for many, many people. We're told here to put it to death. So that means if you're into that stuff, and, and the good news is coming here in a bit, but if you're into any of that stuff, it's not, oh, it's okay. Uh, no, it's put it to death. Get rid of that. God is calling you and he's empowering you by his grace and by his spirit to walk away from that. What's next? Impurity. Another broad one. To anything, something that's impure is anything that is, okay, it's not pure. It's dirty. It's vile. It's maybe kind of gross or disgusting or whatever, disturbing kind of behavior and thought. Put it away. Put it to death. Don't entertain it. Passion is on this list. We've talked about passion before. I'm passionate about some things. You are probably as well. Passion is not bad in and of itself. The concept is not sinful. There's such a thing as having good godly passions, and I hope you have some of those. But what is talking about in this verse is worldly passion. It's passion for things that are not of God. It's passion for things that are not part of his plan for you. It's when you get super fired up and energetic and enthusiastic and you're spending your time and your effort and your energy and your resources on it, and it's something he doesn't want you to do. Worldly passion, put it away, put it to death. Evil desire. This one, so I've been saved for, I don't know, 16 years. And this one still crops up sometimes. And it's, so, it's like, you would think after being a Christian long enough, evil desire wouldn't be a thing. But there are times, and I'm sure that you can testify to this too, there are times that a wicked thought will just come into your mind. A, a wicked desire and a wicked urge. And it's like, what in the world is that there for? But we have to put those to death. And the last one on this list here is covetousness, which is idolatry. Somebody say idolatry. Making sure I still have you. Covetousness, okay, so covet, jealousy. Another one, you would think as Christians we'd, we'd have moved past it, but sometimes we experience jealousy. And we all know what that is, but that's, I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it. I want to come up a peg, and I want you to come down a peg. Sometimes we have that. And this jealousy, it says here, it's idolatry. And the concept of idolatry, idols, an idol is anything that you put above or before God in order of importance. An idol is something that comes before God as your number one. And the tragic thing about idols is that oftentimes they're really good things, gifts from God, and we just put them in the wrong place. And this is saying, put it to death. And by the way, the jealousy is idolatry in this case because when we're jealous, when we're coveting, when we have covetousness, it's just fun to say, when we're doing that, you know what that is? It's idolatry because it's a failure to trust in the provision of the Lord. It's to say, Lord, you haven't given me enough. You haven't given me all that I want. I want what they have. I want it now. Why wouldn't you give me that? Why do they have it and not me? If I was only in control, if I was only in my authority, I would have that. I know better than you, God. That's foolishness. Put it to death. Because, verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Again, sometimes... We like to think of God as the nice, flowery, 
loving, which he is. I'm not diminishing his love in any way. Don't hear me wrong. Uh, but we sometimes view him as the, I can do whatever I want. It'll just get swept under the rug. Because God, you know, he's kind of a doormat and a pushover. That's how we think of him sometimes. And that is far from the truth. God is also a God of wrath. And we don't like to talk about that, I know. But the reality is, no sin, no rebellion against God just gets swept under the rug or he doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say whatever. God deals with each and every sin, of which I have had many. And so what happens is in our own strength, in our own flesh, you guys know this, we face the wrath of God on our own. It's, it's, it's like we are tied to the railroad track with the train coming. We're right in the path of God's wrath. And apart from Christ, we all have to endure the cup of God's wrath. But again, the alternative is we trust in Jesus because God's wrath was poured out on him on the cross. He drank the full cup of God's wrath. Not one sin that I would ever do is you know, outside of that cup, outside of that wrath. And when we trust in Jesus, the wrath is poured out on him instead of us. Again, God doesn't shrug his shoulders. No, 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 there was a steep price to be paid for our sin, the death of his son. But again, we get to walk out from under that load scot-free when we trust in Jesus. And if you say that's scandalous, yes, you're understanding, that's correct. That's called God's grace, by the way. Verse seven, in these two, in that list of uh, stuff we read, in these two you once walked when you were living in them. So if you're wondering, you know, if you're kind of getting a little uppity and saying, well, I don't do those things, you know, who does those things? You know, what Christian would struggle with those? Hey, you did. It says that you once walked in these things, maybe before you were saved. But if we were being honest, sometimes we would admit that sometimes we still struggle with some of these things. I do. I'll put my hand up first. And that's evidenced by verse 8, which says, but now you must put them all away. Paul wouldn't say put it away if there was nothing to put away. That means that we struggle with these things sometimes. But what I want to tell you, and I love this, what I want to tell you is that this is all a message of grace. When, when God is telling us through this word, when he's telling us to put this away, put it to death, he's not saying, he's not saying, you idiot, Braden, you blockhead, what is wrong with you? Why would you do this? Why are you still into this? After all we've been through, after all I've done for you, what is wrong with you? That's not what God says at all. He says, you know what God says? He says, yep, I see it. I know your heart. I know your works. I know your life. I know your motives. I know everything that's going on. And I love you. And I have good for you. And hand that over to me. Take my hand. Walk with me. And we'll walk away from that together. That's what God says. Put it all away. Put it to death. That is an invitation as well as an instruction. So God has grace for us in that. And Paul is going to go through another list here now. And oftentimes this one is expressed externally or with other people. He says, put it all away. Anger. <laughs> anger, it's not sinful by default to be angry. God is angry at things and God doesn't sin. So sin does not automatically equal anger. I said that backwards, but you know what I mean. I'm not saying it again. There are things that are, that are in the world that make God angry and they should make us angry, okay? So we're not saying that all anger is sin, but this, what's in view here is ungodly anger. It's worldly anger. It's anger over things God is not angry about. It's quick anger, arrogant, prideful anger. Put it away. 
I've been there. Wrath. Wrath is you're on the war path. I had a fifth grade teacher who would say it this way. So-and-so is on the tear. When he said so-and-so is on the tear, like you look out because they're coming for you. Wrath is you did something to me and I'm going to make sure that you hear about it. I'm going to give you both barrels. You're going to get the word from me and you're going to really feel it. Put that away. That's not our place to do that. Malice. Malice is the intention or the desire to do harm. It's you did something wrong and I might just come at you with number one and number two here, right? Put it away. Slander. This one struck me this week, slander, because I've been in this. It's speaking ill of someone to smear their reputation, whether it's true or not, whether they're present or not. Put it away. Obscene talk from your mouth. Here's some good pastoral advice for you. If you ever have the, and I've done this, if you ever have the inner dialogue with, with yourself and you're saying, oh, this thing I just said or that thing I'm saying right now, uh, I'm not quite sure about it. It's borderline at best. Does that qualify as obscene talk from my mouth? It probably does. It probably does. But this can be things like swearing or crude joking or insulting other people cutting them down, using the Lord's name in vain, whatever it is, put them all away. Put them all away. Oh, there's another one, verse 9, do not lie to one another. That one requires no explanation. All of this, put them away because, verse 9 still, seeing that because you have put off the old self with its practices. We have a new reality that we are to live in. Walking with Jesus, serving him, loving him, putting him first, centering ourselves on him, and these things do not belong in it. Our reality should be different. So I would say this, if you struggle with any of this stuff, because we're all human and we all do, if you are into something and you're struggling or whatever, I would love it if you would come and we can pray for you about that. When the service is over, uh, later on, just come up to the front here. We'd love to pray with you about that. Find someone, a brother or sister in Christ you can confide in because we're better together. We're stronger together. So we could, that helps uh, to, to walk away from things when we've got other people and obviously trusting in the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we have one more verse to read. It's getting hot in here, so we've got to keep her moving. Colossians 3.10, we're talking about the new self. It says this, um, Verse 9 was, do not lie to one another. You put off your old self. And have, verse 10, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That is our new reality. We have put on the new self. There's a newness. There's something different. There's something fresh in Christ. And that new self, what I will tell you is it's not generic it's not build your own, like buffet style. I'll have some of this and some of that. It is not, and this is something you hear in the world a lot, becoming the best version of myself. It's not what we're doing. It's not um, just change for the sake of change. It's being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. That's what's going on. That's our new reality. And if you hear that, and you say, okay, all I have to do then, is, you know, it's about knowledge. All I got to do is know more. That's not really complete. The idea is not for you just to have more head knowledge, but to have heart transformation and, and, and works of your hands for the Lord. So the more we come to know knowledge, the more we come to know and experience the Lord Jesus, 
the more we are renewed, the more we are changed. Changed how? We are changed to be like him. When you spend time in Jesus' presence, you change. That's the way it works. If you're, if you're too far off the burner, so to speak, you know, the pot isn't going to boil. You're probably not going to change very much. But when you get close to Jesus, you change to be like him after his image. Your life in Christ, my friends, and I'll just go short on this. Your life is not just, I got saved and I'm done. I'll do whatever I want. It is a progressive walk, an ongoing journey toward Christ-likeness. It's, it's not everything. Well, we do get a lot of everything all at once. Like I said, the promises, the, you know, the salvation, all that. But, but our sanctification, it's an ongoing walk, step by step, one foot in front of the other, walking toward the Lord Jesus, walking with him. And so I would ask you again in your head to answer this. Are you changing as a believer? Are you changing? Your life, if we're more and more being renewed in the image of our creator, we're becoming more like Christ, that means our lives should look different. My life should not look the same as it did a year ago, two years, five years, ten years ago. It should not look the same. Neither should yours. Are you living out and experiencing your new reality, your new self? Are you seeking the Lord Jesus? Are you living in step with him day by day, moment by moment? Because that is our new reality. That is the life that we've been called to live. We don't do it alone. We do it with him. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start wrapping up. Plane's going to come in for a landing here. Here's full confession time. (laughs) Here's full confession. There's supposed to be way more in this sermon. I had like six verses that I didn't get to go through because it was already like getting on pretty long. And like I said, it's hot in here. So here's what we're going to do. This is part one of this message that we heard today. Part two is going to be online or on the phone. However you normally listen to sermons when we're not here, it's going to be there. In a couple of days, Tuesday or Wednesday, we're going to post part two of this message. And I hope that you'll listen to it because it is full of very practical stuff. Today, I really wanted to kind of focus more on you know, your relationship with the Lord. Part two of this message is all about our relationship with other people. And I'm just saying, sometimes we need a little boost in that. If you're anything like me, we need a little boost. We need some encouragement. So listen to that. Watch for it in a few days. Uh, It'll be in your normal place. But here's what we'll do. I want to sum up today. Our new reality, the new reality that we step into as Christians is all about Jesus. It's centered on him. It's walking with him, abiding in him, enjoying him, loving him, serving him, worshiping him, following him. That's what it's all about. And all of our activity flows from that place. Even if it, watch my hands, seems like it has nothing to do with the Lord. It all flows from that. To do this, to live out our new reality, one huge step is to set our minds properly. Set our minds on the things of the kingdom, the things of the Lord, the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth, because they weigh us down, they bring us down. All the while, we're to put off our old selves. The, The sin, the baggage, the cobwebs, we get rid of all that. The time is here and now to step away from that and step into Christ and to uh, receive grace through him to walk a new life. And that new life is all about growing in our knowledge and experience and our following of the Lord Jesus. See how that's kind of cyclical? It's full circle. So if we do these things, here's just what I'll say. If we step into this, our lives will be different. My life will be different if I start doing this stuff in increasing measure. So will yours. So will our church be different. 
the more we center ourselves on the Lord Jesus, the more we will come into his will and the more we will change. So that's what I want to pray for us about right now. I want you to bow your head with me. We are going to go to the Lord. And God, we ask you today, we, first we just acknowledge your goodness and your greatness and your kingship and your sovereignty, Lord God. You are on the throne, Lord Jesus, not us. And we're asking for my life, for the lives of all individuals here, and for us as a church, as one body, as one unit. We're asking, Lord, for the strength and the grace to center ourselves on you. Because we all have things we can do to grow. We all have things we can do to move forward. We all have things we need to step away from and things we need to step into. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today whom I love very much. God, I'm asking that by your spirit, you will not only point out in our minds and in our lives things that we need to do or stop doing for you, but God, you will give us by your spirit the strength and the grace to do it. God, I'm praying for a great move toward you as a church. I'm praying for a great move away from sin as a church. I'm praying for a great move of the Holy Spirit in our midst. So Lord, we invite you. We welcome your presence and your power in our lives. God, I pray for the one who is struggling today, whether it's with a sin or just, an, uh, just a challenge in their life. God, may you visit with them, give them grace, give them peace. We lift this up to you, Lord Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name and God's people said, amen.